You are now entering the Bronx. Your hosts are the intrepid and all-knowing Jason T. Gaffney and the insipid and unknowing Kevin Held. Join these two buddies as they explore history and find the bright side in shitty things. Hello. Hello. You're on the bright side with Kevin and Jason. I'm your co-host, Kevin Held. And I'm your other co-host, Jason T. Gaffney. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. You've been out of town. I have. I went to Denver. You went to Denver. Colorado. And, oh, that Denver. Never mind. And thought, Boulder, Colorado. Den- Boulder, Colorado is even more pretty than Denver, Colorado. Correct. Agreed. And Denver is a beautiful, clean city. Like, oh, yeah. It's really beautiful. It's really clean. But when you're in Boulder, you're literally next to the mountains. Mm-hmm. And I eat that shit up. You eat mountains? I eat mountains. How? You're very crunchy. a troll. I'm crunchy granola. (laughs) (laughs) What were you in Denver for? We were in Denver because my mom was receiving the Lifetime Achievement Award from the RWA. What's the RWA? The Romance Writers of America. What's America? (laughs) Who knows anymore? (laughs) Yeah, well, good point. Have you seen this thing on uh, the Sasha Baron Cohen got that Georgia state representative to uh, moon the camera and shout the N-word and stuff? I did see that. Oh, my God. I hope that guy steps down, but of course he won't. No. No, he won't. Okay, but yes, that is an excellent question, which is the name of that show, Who is America? But we're not here to plug that show. We're here to do our own damn show. Uh, but yeah, it's been a hiatus. We've been off, you know? I know. It was like a week of madness. Mm-hmm. Thank you, RWA, for hosting us. Thank you to all the board members who were awesome and made us feel welcome. Um, you're saying this as a lot as if I was there and I was fucking not there. It's, uh, you know, he, Jason T. Gaffney is now speaking entirely for himself and his family because guess who wasn't invited? This guy. And I'm pointing at myself with the two thumbs thing right now. <laughs> He's very sad. He's very sad. I'd say I'm much more resentful than sad. (laughs) (laughs) I love Denver. I would like, you know, next time you go to Denver for your mother's Lifetime Achievement Award, you should bring me in your luggage. That's all I'm saying. Denver's great. It would have been a really tight fit. Because see those tiny little suitcases? Fuck you. If Taylor Swift can do it. (laughs) 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 All right. So uh, we've had some little time off, and our last episode was really out of the box for us. I know. But into Vic in a Box. Thank you again to the Vic in a Box show for hosting us last week. That was so much fun. It was super fun. I had such a good time with that. We are going to have to do that again. And remember, go over to Vic in a Box, subscribe to them, Mm -hmm. give them five stars, give them shout outs, all the good stuff. Yep. Do the same for us. Thanks again to (laughs) Vic and Steve. It was really, really fun. Uh, But now we're back to our good old formula here. Yeah. All right, where uh, we're going to talk about some tragedy. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, it's really good to come back because I have, like, felt the absence of coming here to do this, you know, this week. Yeah, I was going to say it was a very, like, it was, like, a great week, Mm -hmm. but I was also like, oh, I wish... I know. I wish I was talking about something tragic and laughing about it, rather than just talking about something tragic and being sad. <laughs> well, sure. Well, that's what we're going to do today. <laughs> well, thank you again uh, to you for hosting us at your house, and congratulations, oh, Suzanne Brockman, for your Lifetime Achievement Award. Yes, you better be a rock star. Uh, <laughs> you better burn it down. Uh, so, yes. So, shall we jump in? Yes, let's today? jump in. All right, fantastic. So, uh, we're going to talk about some things today and jason's giving me the uh the high sign what what's your face i i know what this face is 
He's got a big open mouth and he's looking at me. He needs a poll. Yes, it's time for a poll. In your open mouth. <laughs> we had a very successful poll. Oh, did we? Good, about good, good. the Beatles. Oh, good, yes. Well, you know, the, they're still very popular. I know, they're bigger than Jesus. Mm-hmm, still. Um, the poll was which Beatle was your favorite? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said to please retweet to give Pete Best a shout out. Uh-huh. We got five retweets. Okay. That's an all all-time right. high for us. So, so yeah. <laughs> keep retweeting. Thank you. Um, but yeah, five people were like, yeah, Pete Best. Yeah. Um, but okay, so George Harrison got 18% of the vote. All right. He's haggard. That makes sense. <laughs> John Lennon got 28%. Uh-huh. Paul McCartney got 49%. Really? And uh, Ringo Starr got a whopping 5% Well, that's of the... <laughs> completely understandable. But Paul McCartney pulling it out. All yeah. right. Well, that's a that's a endorsement for longevity, I guess. Yeah. Well done. Well, the longer you live, the more people will like you. I suppose. Although, I mean, I guess we've just forgotten Wings. Fine. Let's just not talk about it. Wings? Let's not talk about it. Okay. It was Paul McCartney's solo career. Paul McCartney and Wings. It's terrible. Oh. Terrible. I didn't know anything about it. Well, you're better off. That's because I'm really young. <laughs> I didn't even do anything this time. Uh. <laughs> All I did was get here today, and now... <laughs> God. <sighs> I'm going to have to look up Wings. Maybe that's a tragedy we should talk about. I'm, are you going to... You need to pray for Wings, because I'm going <laughs> to fucking defenestrate you one of these days. <laughs> fancy okay. words. I love fancy words. You remember defenestrate? Yeah. To throw one out a window. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this is this is a deep cut for loyal listeners to the show. <laughs> All right. Thanks for that, poll. And now we're going to talk about my favorite thing. Yeah. The bright spot. Yeah. And I think this bright spot is a complete, absolute no-brainer. It happened... We've been off for a week, so it happened last week. But give me a break. It's the escape from the cave of the wild boars, the Thai soccer team. Wild boars? That was their name. Oh, I didn't know that was their name. I just knew that there were children trapped. The kids that were in Thailand trapped in a cave uh, who were the focus of an international uh, cooperative rescue organization, all 13 of them and their coach got out of the cave. That's so great. And uh, it was was a just beautiful moment of international cooperation. It was a beautiful moment of like, like... This terrifying thing that was going to be that's a huge undertaking, and it was successfully made. There was there was the the Thai Navy SEAL who lost his life trying to get supplies to the kids. Yeah, uh, and it's a huge he. You know, we should honor him. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's I mean that's what they are signing up for. I mean, obviously they want to live, but they're yeah. signing up knowing well, that there you could lose your life he, helping defend others. Exactly. And he gave his life saving the lives of 13 14 people, 13 kids and their coach. And uh just the whole uh, I was following that story along with the whole world, you know, because it was just the idea was so terrifying that you could get in there and get trapped, you know. And then the way they actually found them and also the way that they were bringing supplies to them to keep them alive and, you know, sending letters in and out from the cave, you know, until they could figure out how to get them out. And the whole crazy tangential weirdness, fuck all stuff with Elon Musk that was going on at the same time who has lost his mind. And I'm not buying a Tesla anymore, even if I ever get any money to do it. (laughs) (laughs) There's a Tesla uh, showroom near my uh, new apartment. 
Uh, and uh, I, I have to drive by, and like I, I gun the engine on purpose. I'm like, gas! <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I think that hurts us all, Kevin. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, it was an incredible story, and I was riveted to it, and then they all got out and then wanted KFC. Which is very human, and I understand it. That was really what they said? That's what they all wanted to eat when they got out. And now they're out of the hospital, and they're all back home, you know, and it's all... With KFC? Yeah, I assume. I mean, if your child gets trapped in a cave for, like, two weeks, you should give them whatever they want when they get out. Yeah. You know? I mean, to eat. I I was going to say, I want a pet penguin. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) In Thailand? (laughs) Well, you want a pet penguin here. I just want a pet penguin. Well, fuck, it's hotter here than it is in Thailand. I don't know how you have not melted to death here (laughs) in the valley. It's like 1,700 degrees out. I go outside and I scream and I just burst into flames. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you know, you everyone needs a coping mechanism. <laughs> Every day I'm reborn like a phoenix right. from my ashes. And that's just when you look at the newspaper. You <laughs> scream. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Oh. That was uh the that's the that's the bright spot in the world this week. I that think. is a great bright spot. Oh, did you hear how they got them out? No. Oh my god. They strapped them. Okay, terrifying. Sorry, I'm getting a little worked up. Yeah. It... So I thought that they like hooked the kids up to oxygen and they each got two divers to get them out of the cave, right? But they strapped them to gurneys. No. And put a child's scuba mask on their face that's nope. made for uh, beginning divers. Okay. And they dragged them through... To the other side. Wouldn't they just float and hit the ceiling the whole way? No, because they were all, they were both accompanied, fuck you, they were both accompanied by two divers. <laughs> it seems who like were... a really bad plan. <laughs> well, it worked, didn't it? Um, <laughs> that was a that bad, would be a bad plan. Is that they why they had to go to the hospital and all these fucking cuts on their face? I think it was the malnutrition for two weeks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the lack of oxygen. Um, but no, they were strapped in and like sedated. And, and they were dragged through for five hours. It took five hours per person? Yes, to get them out of the cave. So it was a five-hour swim? Yes. So, I mean, whatever you were thinking about, like, in terms of heroics, it's more for the, for the divers and the rescuers who got them out. So A team of 13 international divers and five also Thai Navy SEALs. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm a little faint from the idea of being submerged yeah. with a little mask on my face. I know. Just imagine that. Then you're strapped to a gurney underground in pitch black... You know, and just hoping for the best. I can't even get through a night with my CPAP on without ripping it off. Exactly. You <laughs> so would that's have, why they had to strap them down. You would have died. Yeah. <laughs> but these 13-year-olds oh. did not. Yay. Yay. Anyway, that's the bright spot. I thought it was just incredible what was going on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyway, that's that's what I got. I love it. They're all alive. The wild boars. Yes, wild boars. Mm-hmm. All right. What do you got for us, Jason? I'm going to take you to Funky Town. Take me down to Funky Town. But be careful. You take me down. You might get Saturday town. Night Fever. I do have Saturday Night Fever. But don't worry. Burp, 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 if you get that fever, burp, 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 burp. I will survive. All right. Are we talking <laughs> disco, perchance? Yes, we're going to talk a little bit about disco. Yeah. So, disco is not the tragedy. It's uh, it's something else. Oh, good. So we'll do disco as it. a tragedy another time. <laughs> yeah, so uh, thanks to one of our listeners, Maureen, from Twitter. Here's what I'm saying. Paul McCartney did disco tracks, okay? So there's your favorite fucking Beatle people. <laughs> but uh, and thanks to Maureen. We, yeah, thanks, Maureen. We got to find out about Disco Demolition Night. Yeah! <laughs> so, okay, it's arguably one of the most ridiculous moments in our history as a species. Well, good. We have lots of those. Yeah. 
And this is one of the most? Yeah, and it's really crazy. It's funny. I mean, it's tragic because there's, like, racism and homophobia involved, but it's Yay! like... Yeah, so <laughs> I'm not down with any kind of tragedy that doesn't have racism and homophobia. <laughs> those are just boring if they That's don't. That's right. Anything that doesn't have those things, just move on, in if, my opinion. If you don't have bigotry, shuffle along, <laughs> partner. We're a little too white to be talking like this. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Disco Demolition Night would take place on July 12th, 1979. Oh, wow. Mere moments before my birth. <laughs> I said it to get in front of it. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that. Well, now you are. Happy birthday to Kevin. In a month. Happy birthday to Kevin. In a month. Happy birthday Okay, to all right, Kevin. all right, all right. Funky time. <laughs> Um, all right, so it would happen at Kaminsky Park. Hold on. We're talking about something called Disco Demolition Night. So the night that disco was demolished, I'm assuming. Something yes. like that. And it happened a little before my birth. So I can actually take from my chest and my shoulders, from my whole life, the responsibility of having been born in the disco age. Correct. Because it died before I got here. No. Shh. Okay. Give yes. me this. <laughs> so, yes, it was where... It was where the Chicago White Sox play. Okay. Uh, oh, Comiskey Park. Okay. And it would happen in between a doubleheader games with the uh, Sox and the Tigers. Don't you wish we had straight people here now? I do. <laughs> to talk about this. And now I want Tiger Sox. <laughs> like... <laughs> All right. So the event was set up by Chicago Shock Jock. Okay. Uh, Steve Dahl to blow up a giant box filled with vinyl disco records. Okay. So it's between two games. Yeah. All right. To keep people interested in yeah. between, all right. Um, and but let, before we get to the fireworks, let's learn about a little bit about our friend, the shock jo- uh, jock, and okay. disco. Great, sure. I don't know enough about either of those things. So disco would hit the scene starting in the 1960s, really. But it really wouldn't take place uh, as like musical king until the late 70s and into the early 80s. Okay, here's here's uh, I'm ragging on disco a little bit, but I can definitely get behind some disco songs. Oh, there's some great disco. There's some really shit disco. Well, sure. But there's some really great disco. Okay, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Yeah, yeah. I'm not ragging on all disco. So the first demographics to fall in love with disco were black people, Italian people, Latino people, LGBT people, and the quote, psychedelic sure. people. Sure, all the cool kids. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, like, that, those were the people who were like, yeah. Yeah, these are the groups you want to be in. Yes. No? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Men and women of those groups would go to the club, and they would dance the night away. Sure. To Donna Summer, mm. the Bee Gees, mm. the Village People, yes. and more. Oh. Presumably <laughs> not Paul McCartney if his album was so bad. No, I think he did a couple. Have you heard the Ethel Merman disco? Yes, yeah, I love Ethel Merman disco. <laughs> it's so stupid. It so it's like stupid. the stupidest, most wonderful shit you'll ever listen to. Like it's not, no. it's not bad, but it's also just like not like what. You're no, like, the best thing you could ever listen, listeners, do yourself a favor. Stop the podcast now. Go to YouTube and search for. Mary Jo, I believe is her name, Yodels the Classics. Or just search for Yodels the Classics. What? Do yourself that favor. Yodels the Classics. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to have to... Hang on. We'll be right back. Wasn't that, was that great? great? <laughs> that was so funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, people think that disco came about as a response to the call of rock and roll. Oh. Like a call and response. What call? Rock and roll people were often found to mock the dance genre, mm-hmm. and once disco took hold, it also spawned new dance styles that we've come to learn and love. 
The hustle. One set. Yes, the hustle. The electric slide. The electric slide. That rope thing. I don't know. Where you toss out the rope, yeah, bring yourself in. Oh, toss it out, yeah, bring yourself in. (laughs) Toss it out again, bring yourself in. That's so cheesy. I I love love disco because it was all you know. It was all it was dances that white people could do. Finally, you know, I think that's probably why it took such mainstream hold. So yeah, all right. So now that we know about the disco, Uh the disco, the disco, (laughs) it's time to turn the beat around and Uh talk about Steve Dahl. Okay, sure. All right. He was born in 1954 in lovely Pasadena, California. Pasadena is lovely. It really is. I know. He would begin his love affair with radio as early as ninth grade. He didn't do like weird shit with a radio, did he? I don't fucking know. Probably. He's okay, a weird white let's kid. Let's move past that. So, no, he didn't do anything with All right. So he would spend his free time hanging out at KPPC FM, uh-huh. an underground station. Okay. And no, it's not under the earth. It was music that was not mainstream. I didn't know this. What? I didn't know this. You thought underground radio meant that it was underground? I thought maybe it was like a weird underground station. <laughs> You're the most literal person ever. <laughs> Do you think a black market is a big black cube that the people sell things inside of? Who knows? <laughs> I've never been to one. I know they sell illegal stuff. <laughs> I don't know what it looks like on the outside. They got oh. all these poachers and God. <laughs> so okay. When he turned sixteen, he began working at KPPC FM full time mm-hmm. and more or less dropped out of school. Okay. Good start, right? Sure. I mean, so, you know, in the 70s, to be a disc jockey, you didn't really need a college education. It's true. Or even a high school one. Yeah. So he quoted saying, quote, I convinced my parents and the school that I would do an independent work-study thing. I never got around to it. Oh, that's fine. He would get his GED at 18. Oh, okay. So he graduated. That's fine. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> so he would then have a short-lived marriage with a woman. Oh, okay. Um, well, obviously with a woman. Well, yeah, I guess back then it was only... It's illegal. Hello? Sitting on your little mountain of of gay privilege over here? I guess he fell in love with her after she called the station and requested the song Suzanne by Leonard Cohen. And he fell in love with her? That's the most rock and roll story I've ever heard. And uh, the song's meanings, though, is that the relationship is doomed because she's a bit of a off-her-rocker. Oh. So, like... Anyway, they would divorce. So he didn't look past the irony of the song choice? Right. So he, mm. he after the divorce... Fatal mistakes. You can find the end of a relationship always. There's a seed of it in the beginning. Really? Of the relationship. I don't know. What am I, Dr. Phil? Oh, I I thought you like knew something. I didn't no. know. Dahl is quoted saying, quote, I should have paid more attention to that song. <laughs> <laughs> he would then go on to write the hit single, All By Myself. Wait, what? No, I'm kidding. Oh. Because he's alone. Fuck you. <laughs> you sometimes say facts, and sometimes you say facts that <laughs> are jokes. You're fake news. Yeah, sometimes. Mm. Um, he was struggling with the fact that he was now, uh, that he was All like, by himself? <laughs> Yeah, he was all by himself, and that he would never make it as a radio host because he had an oddly high-pitched voice. Oh. He would quit radio for about a half a year okay. and uh, try and be a sound engineer. Okay. but his... Like a really stable, solid engineer? No. Oh, like... he would work on sound. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he was trying to be mentally stable he was while trying... he was an engineer. He was building channels for ships. Yes. Okay. Uh, no, he would. Uh, he basically made these albums, these, like, Mixes mm-hmm. and they would only ever see the light of day on a plane. What do you what? Apparently, airplanes used to play music, and they would play his music. Yeah, so he was like the ambient music on an airplane. He was, but he didn't write the music. He just put it together. Like he mix made mixes. Okay, and so, so he made music for planes. Yes. Okay. 
Um, well, there's a job. <laughs> who knew? Yeah. I didn't even... I don't think there are any music I'm playing anymore. Uh, no, well, there's everyone has their own music now. Yeah. We all have our own music playing in our heads all the time. And in our hearts. Well, mostly our heads, because of the fucking headphones. <laughs> and you're in town God, to talk st- about the song in the heart. You are straight out of a there's... goddamn music. <laughs> you're basically Doris fucking day. <laughs> I come here and I'm like melting on the street and you're like la 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 I have a song in my heart bursting into flames you literally this Jason literally has you know a a nest with birds in it right outside the front door Patrice our lovely bird Patrice who has her second batch of babies yeah I saw them feeding the other day it's like coming over to Snow White's cottage when I come here (laughs) Uh, Here, uh, have a bite of this apple. <laughs> so, what are we talking about? Uh, his real rock bottom, Steve, though. This is Steve. Steve yeah, okay. Steve's real rock bottom uh, was during his, this downtime mm-hmm. of not being a radio jockey uh, when he decided that he wanted his ex-wife back mm-hmm. uh, and he would stalk her. Um, what? He parked his car outside okay. of her house. I- <laughs> And would sleep there. Oh. Um, because nothing says romantic like forcing yourself into an ex's life after they move on. I'll say. And right? you say this as if, like, like he, he sat down and was like, this this Muzak on airplanes thing isn't working. I think I'm going to stalk my ex. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a decision. It was <laughs> yeah. like a thing that he put down in his calendar. Like Tuesdays. Yeah. 6, <laughs> 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. Stalk the ex. Stalk the ex. Yeah. I mean, it kind of, I think, was like that. I don't oh. know. Oh, he scheduled it? I don't know if he scheduled it. I think he just was inspired. Sure. Uh, his ex, who also worked in radio, ironically, was working at a L.A. station and was dating the program director while Steve was stalking her. Okay. In 1976, she would tell him about a job opening for radio host in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I like her. <laughs> Stalking is not funny, but she's like, hey, I heard about this great opening in Detroit. Yep. That's good. I mean, can you imagine it? Like, so so she finds a job for him in Detroit on WABX-FM for a morning show. And, like, imagine the fact that, like, women, in order to get rid of the guys stalking them, literally have to find them a job. job. That's fucked up, Steve. Yeah. So, and he was convinced he wouldn't get it, but then he did. Good. And it was because she pulled all the strings she could pull she, to make sure he could get it. So that he is would horrible. Yeah. I mean, oh God, you know, kudos to her for, like, using all of her power to get this thing done. But fuck you, Steve. And here's the thing. I, like, he talks about it, and he's ashamed of his history. And he's like, yeah, I was dumb and young. And, like, we gotta teach our boys better to not be stupid and dumb and young. Like, Yeah, well, we need to teach boys how not to be young. Well, no, teach them how not to stalk people. No, no, like, of course. That's the thing. That's the thing that should happen. It's like, yes, non-stalking yeah. lessons. So, Jesus Christ. All right. So anyway, that would be the last we're here. We're going to hear about her. Like, she fades from the story. Okay. So I guess, I assume she has to live a happy life free of stalkerage. Yes, let's say that she does. Um, Steve Dahl would then become a hit in Detroit. Oh, good. Yeah. Because I'm so on his side now. <laughs> his show would command 7.2% of the market. That sounds... Good? I think so. Anyway. That's he, a hit? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Sure. I mean, that's like almost 10%. Yeah, okay. I guess. I'm fine with it. So he would meet his, uh, Janet, his future wife. Okay. Not Interplanet Janet from uh, Schoolhouse Rock. How about Damn It Janet? Damn from... It Janet! <laughs> I love you! <laughs> yes. But no, Janet Dahl. You better. <laughs> 
So um, his friend who was dating her at the time introduced them to each other, but then they hit it off and okay. they got it down. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. He was so interested in her that he would invite her to his, quote, hump day episode that he was no. doing at the Detroit Zoo by no. the camels. No, no, Steve. No. Because he was growing in popularity, Chicago's WDAI or W uh, Die was really interested. Maybe W Day? Day, whatever. I don't think that the radio station would call itself W Die. <laughs> <laughs> this is Steve Dahl on W Die. <laughs> if it bleeds, it leads. <laughs> so, uh, Chicago's W Day would offer him double his salary. Okay. 50,000 smackers. Wow. Talk about heading down to see Rooster, Lily, and Miss Hannigan on Easy Street. Okay. Easy Street. Why with this? Oh, my Lord. Now Easy it's Annie Street. we're doing. Okay. Little girls. <laughs> Jesus. Also, let's not talk about smackers when we're talking also about stalkers. Oh, yeah. Anyway, he wanted to go, but he was now in love with Janet, and she didn't want to go. She wanted to leave her family. So the new job was in Chicago. He doesn't want to go to Chicago because right. he's got a good thing going with this Janet. Yeah, they weren't okay. married yet. He wanted to be. So anyway, he went to his boss at WABX FM and asked for a raise, mm-hmm. but they were like, but like way less than Chicago offered him. He was only asking for thirty five thousand smackers a year. <laughs> so we like, talked about this, Jason. <laughs> he wanted to go to like mostly convenient street as oh. opposed to easy street. Oh God! They would say literally, "quote Go fuck yourself. Go to Chicago. Fall on your fat face." Like that's a quote. Yeah. Okay. Did they? Is that a quote? I think that's a quote from Steve, what they said to him. Okay, cool. So it's possible that they didn't say that and that he said it and paraphrased? Yeah, I think it's possible. (laughs) But it's also possible that that's how radio people talk. It was 1978, you know? Go fuck yourself, you fat fucking Go to Chicago, fall on your fat face. (laughs) I I, I picture him with a cigar. Shame on you, WABXFM, if that's what you really said. So he would propose to Janet in 1978. She would say yes. He would go to Chicago, and they would marry in 1980. Um, we are getting some deep into Steve's life here. That's, oh that's yeah, interesting. So okay, but before they would marry, he would have a few more bumps in Funky Town. My voice is really shot. No, I'm just letting it happen. Oh, wow, that's pretty great. great. <laughs> what was that? Where? <laughs> Funky Town. <laughs> I promise I studied musical theater and I can sing. I just can't sing right now. I ate a poison apple. I feel like if a cat could talk, that's what a cat would say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like me and my tiger uh, socks. I think the cat, when it was trying to be really cute, would be like, Funky cat. Anyway, what kind of bumps in Funky Town did Steve have? So he would start his new Chicago morning show called Steve Dahl's Rude Awakening, mm-hmm. which is actually a really cute name of a show. Okay. On February 23rd, 1978, and only 10 months later, the show would be canceled and he would be fired. We'll talk about a rude awakening. Yeah. <laughs> the station changed from rock to disco. Oh. His origin story. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, he would bounce back to his feet, though, by joining uh, WLUP and would meet his future partner, Gary Meyer. Okay. Um, Gary was the overnight DJ 
and Steve would follow him as the morning DJ. And so they'd have some banter as the crossover from one show would take place, and they would mock disco. Okay. They would call the old station W Day, which had the slogan Disco Day, and would twist it to say Disco Die. Yeah, Steve. I got there first. Yeah. <laughs> I did that like like six or seven minutes ago. Yeah. Steve. W Die. I didn't even look ahead in the notes or anything. Yeah. Dahl also had a group of people called the, quote, insane Coho Lips. I don't know why what? Coho. Like would, the salmon? Maybe, I don't know. Okay. Which was more or less a large group of people who hated disco and that it said that it sucked. Okay. So, but I don't know where Coho came from, but that was like I a I know thing. there's a Coho salmon. I don't know. It's you could have salmon lips, they'd look like hollow. this. <laughs> it's, this is brilliant. It just made a fish face, but it was like... On a, a podcast, first of all. Yeah, but it was like a fish that ate like a, a lemon drop. Oh. It was like a really like maybe that's a sour the, fish. Maybe that's the face you make when you hate disco. One comes on, you're like... <laughs> no wonder he wants disco to go away. He just keeps making that face all day. Well, yeah, if that's your involuntary reaction to disco, I'd want it to go away, too. Yeah. <laughs> Insane coho lips. Uh-huh. They were not good people in the sense well, of what they did. they just didn't like disco. Well, okay. Oh, well, yeah, maybe they've done other things. I don't know. You read ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Dahl is quoted as saying that the cohos were, quote, dedicated to the eradication of the dreaded musical disease known as disco wow. uh, in the war against disco from rock and roll. Okay. Yeah. All right. We've got we've had cola wars. Now we've got uh, rock and roll <laughs> disco wars. I like it. Uh, he would then lead his, quote, army of disco haters to discos and would cause situations where the police would need to be called. That's where we've crossed a line. Yeah. Right there. Okay. Uh, one such case was when he convinced his followers to throw marshmallows at a W-Day van that was setting up a teen disco pop-up. Oh. Like a, like a pop-up Throwing restaurant. Throwing marshmallows. Uh, okay. So, and, uh, the, I want a teen disco pop-up. I, I wish know. that had been a thing in my youth. That would have been so much fun. Too late now. Uh, <laughs> we could still do because it. Because disco's gone. Not because I'm not a teenager anymore. Uh, oh. Do it. Uh, so the co-hosts would then follow the van and the driver and corner them. What? Yeah, and thankfully no one was hurt. Okay. But like they were like going in for like the kill, and I was like, you need to not. Like, Yeah, that's crazy. So, Man, Steve, and, like, when he doesn't, when something happens in Steve's life that he doesn't like, he goes off the rails. Yeah. He would celebrate the death of disco star Van McCoy by breaking the album The Hustle during a show. Oh. Like, he was celebrating the fact that he died. He's like, yay, no, one less disco person. Yeah, I was a... And I'm just like, okay. I, okay, Steve is not a hero here. No. Okay. So, he would also create a parody song called Do You Think I'm Disco, based on Rod Stewart's Do You Think I'm Sexy. If you think I'm sexy, and you really want yep. to reach out <laughs> let me know. Funky town. What? Get out! <laughs> Uh, so, in his version of the song, the main character had to sell his three-piece white suit and ditch being effeminate to finally win over a woman. Um, because, you know, disco's gay, apparently. Sure. No, I, I did know that, actually. So, his lyrics are, Do you think I'm disco? Because I spend so much time blow-drying out my hair. Do you think I'm disco? Because I know the dance steps. Learned them all at Fred Astaire. Hmm. Um, they I wonder be- how that went. Do you think I'm disco? Cause I spend so much time blow drying out my hair. Do you think I'm disco? Cause I know the dance steps. Learn them all at Fred Astaire. 
That probably was right. That's my and what's Rod Stewart that impression. That really good. Thank you. And I've been working on it a long time. What I find really funny is that he hates disco, so he makes a mock disco song and then releases it to the world and it becomes a hit. <laughs> and it's just another disco song. Ironic. Isn't it ironic? It is ironic. Uh, all Don't right. you think? Yeah. <laughs> they became known for their hatred of disco and that would gain the attention of Mike Veek, okay. who was the son of Bill Veek, okay. who owned the Chicago White Sox. Oh, okay. Mike, I guess, also was a... He was one of the promotions people for the White Sox. Okay. And he was also not a fan of disco. Okay. So Steve, Gary, Mike, and Jeff Schwartz, uh, W L All men. <laughs> All okay. W-L-U-P. It's a tragedy that was uh, fostered by a complete male uh, group. And I believe completely white men ah, uh white men saving the day again yeah so so jeff schwartz uh, wlup sales and dave logan wlup promotions director mm-hmm. uh so they would come up with the cross promotional event of disco demolition night all right the other thing i also love is that it's, it's steve gary mike jeff and dave like the most white names yeah it's basically a frat yeah yeah <laughs> uh which can be fun um, so the idea was that they would help destroy a fuck ton of disco albums on the field of the White Sox stadium in between games to help, quote, end disco once and for all. Okay. Right. I mean, right. good luck. So they would come to MacArthur Park, sorry, uh, Cominci <laughs> Park. <laughs> and, uh, someone had left the cake out in the rain. Oh, I know. I love that song. It's so terrible and I love it. It's just the worst. <laughs> the lyrics are just the worst. They are really terrible. They're really terrible. And it, yeah. yet, every no, time you it know comes out. you know what the out, worst song lyrics are? Which one? One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. You're not going to do anything. What do you do? How do you do a number? You can't do it. An- two can be as bad as one. It's the loneliest number since the number one. But why is two lonely? If it's that's not, lonely. really. There's another number there. But how do you do a number, anyway? Don't look too deep. It's stupid. Okay. So <laughs> so they would go to Kaminsky Park. Basically, the co-hosts, or mm-hmm. fans, would come to Kaminsky Park with one disco record and would pay only 98 cents. Oh, so if you brought a record, it's like the ticket's 98 cents. Right. Okay. Kind of like um, Six Flags, bring a can of Coke, and then you get in for free or whatever. I understand, yeah. This was a gimmick because the station was WLUP 97.9. So they basically thought that people would get that it was the closest number to the station? Nope. Stupid. Yeah, so... Very stupid. So we finally get to July 12th, 1979. Okay. Uh, The first game had happened... And they were ready for the big show. Okay. But, okay, we're going to talk about the first game a little bit. They, really? Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> so they expected about 20,000 people, which was about 5,000 more people than the Sox were used to at the time. They normally had, like, 15,000 show up. Okay. Their team was not that great during this period, I guess. I don't um, know. If God, if we had straight people here, we would know more about the, the stadium capacity. Well, we know we do know that. Oh, so <gasps> good. Thank God. I did oh, because we have a gay person who does research. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, the stadium only had security to handle 35,000 people, uh-huh. and the stadium was only supposed to seat 44,492 people. Yeah. That was, like, the max people who could, who could come to the game. 44,492. Four. Okay. The show sold out. Okay. Um, and over 20,000 people were stranded outside. What? That's how many extra no. people came. What? Yeah. To try to see the disco blow up? Yep. Wow, these guys tapped into something. Yep, so okay. thousands more. Oh, if they'd only charged a dollar? 
They could have made so much more money, actually. Yeah, they really... Yeah. <laughs> so, thousands more would sneak into the stadium despite the sold-out numbers. Oh, that's not a good idea. Um, they all were desperate to get into the stadium. Like, they would, like, jump turnstiles. Are they... we doing two stadium disasters in a row? Yeah. Yeah! Uh, they would sneak in through open doors and windows. They would climb up over the fences. Yep. They wanted in. Okay. Uh, they estimate that it was a crowd of roughly fifty to 55,000 people in the overflowing park. That's not good. Yeah, so it's not... It's above capacity yeah. by, like, almost 10,000. Oh, my God. So, if that wasn't enough, the box of albums was overflowing, and now people were being told to bring the albums to their seats. Okay. So... Are the, the, all the albums wired to explode? No. <laughs> the ones that you brought? No. Were you supposed to bring it with explosives or no? <laughs> well, you bring the album, we'll provide the explosives. Did they cover that base? We'll get there. Yeah! So the game would start with uh, Lorelai. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Sure, she I don't the, care. She's a model. Get to it. She was throwing the first pitch. Okay. Uh, she worked for the station and was popular in Chicago. Okay, fine. She'll come back. Don't worry. Okay. So during game, I, I I'm so on the edge. I'm on the edge of my seat because there's someone else sitting in it. Oh yeah, now because it's overflow <laughs> capacity here in the in the recording studio I as well. Love it. So okay, so during game one, people would start to fling their albums into the field like angry children. They were acting like angry children, or they were throwing them the way you would throw an angry child. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you have to have some good heft to get it all the way down there. Yeah, well, it's easier than you might think. Um, so they could get away with this because all the security went outside to stop the people who were sneaking in, which left the area unguarded. Oh, Jesus. So, so they're, like, frisbeeing their... Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's basically... you. The, the security is like, you can bring your album, sure. You're giving everybody a, a frisbee. Weapon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At a stadium. So oh, Rusty Staub, okay. uh, a member of the Tigers, is quoted saying, quote, It wasn't just one, it was many. Oh, God almighty, I've never seen anything so dangerous in my life. <laughs> as, the, as the records fly yeah. through the air? Okay. Uh, the game would pause multiple times for records, beer bottles, lighters, and firecrackers being flung onto the field. What is wrong with you, Chicago? So this is game one, by oh the way. Oh, my God. Those stuck outside. Firecrackers? Yep. Those stuck outside would, would build bonfires of disco albums or throw them around like the people inside. Wow, warm and toxic. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so the Tigers would win game one, uh, four to one. Nobody cares. Yeah. All right, showtime. Yay! Yay! Uh, so at this point, everyone's getting really nervous. Like yeah, the people who own me it, especially. Uh, yeah. Most of the people are clearly here for the explosion and not the love of baseball, huh. like they were hoping. Sure. Um, giant signs were being posted all over the stadium with the words, Disco sucks from the stands. Okay. But the show must go on, right? Well, of course. So, we don't want to stop an insane thing just because it's going to be stupidly dangerous. Right. Okay. So at 8.16 p.m., Steve Dahl, dressed like a goofy army man, <laughs> fatigues and helmet. Okay. I saw a picture. He looked pretty goofy. Okay. I mean, he had like a cute, goofy guy. Like, I wish he'd not... Yeah, if he wasn't just so insane and stalkerish, yeah. and also, yeah, like so, a little of a bit, a bit of a pyromaniac, yeah, he'd be great. Yeah, so he would enter the field alongside his co-host Gary and the mod and the model Lorelai. Okay, um, in a jeep that would drive around like jackasses in a giant circle, as the co-host would shower them with beer and firecrackers. Good, as Lord. they like welcome to the stadium. Okay. They would then go to the center field where the giant explosion was supposed to take place, and Steve and Gary would lead the chant of Disco Sucks, 
to warm up the already out of control crowd. Okay. They're like getting them even more. Yeah, there's 55,000 people now shouting. Disco Disco sucks. Yeah, when when 55,000 people are chanting, get out. Right. So the White Sox were beginning to get ready for the second show, and because of their... Game. Game, darling. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely wrote show. I know. (laughs) It's a two-show day. I'm not commenting further than that. Um, (laughs) Because of their fear, they were all wearing helmets to practice and warm up. (laughs) Some people were trying to leave and found that the White Sox security actually did something really stupid and decided the best way to handle the people sneaking in was to padlock all the doors except for one. So now the people who are trying to escape can't get out. I'm face palming now. I just love the fact that they padlock all the doors because it's like, what if a fire had happened, you idiots? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just... I mean, they're literally about to explode shit. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah, what if a fire happens? No, there's a, there's one scheduled. <laughs> <laughs> what if? So, Dahl would say to the crowd, quote, This is now officially the world's largest anti-disco rally. Mm. Now listen, we took all the disco records you brought tonight... We got them in a giant box, and we're going to blow them up real good. Okay. I also love the fact that he said we've got all the disco records. I'm like, no, no there's the thousands. No, people are still but... frisbeeing them at yeah. your face. So the explosives went off with a display first, and then slowly moving to the big box filled with records, and then it exploded. Okay. And I watched it. It was like, I mean, I love watching explosions yeah. because I love watching stuff like um, Mythbusters and everything. Okay. This was like... A bit scary. Oh. The fact that there were that many people in the stadium nearby. Yeah. Like, when Mythbusters, they're always really far away. In from a the desert area. somewhere, yeah. yeah. This was in the middle of a fucking This was, stadium, like, on a third baseline? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. so, the crowd went wild. Okay. Uh, and on fire. <laughs> no, oh. no. But, and because the entire security detail was outside, the crowd would then storm the field. What? Yep. Uh... <laughs> Ripping clothes off, I assume. Oh, no, this is Chicago, not Philadelphia. They they, do I watched there. a video in there where people rip clothes off. Okay, so, yeah. fine. I mean, it was the 70s. Sure. So, Lorelai would then tell people after the fact that she was just trying to wave to the fans, and suddenly she would be shoved into the Jeep and driven out for her safety. Well, yeah. Because there was... Because um, there's 50,000 people running onto the sta- <laughs> the floor of the stadium now. I think that Dahl and Meyer were also shoved in the Jeep, but it wasn't clear. Okay. Um, I don't really care what happens to them now. But basically, five to 7,000 people... People stormed the field, and all the players fled and locked themselves in their clubhouse. That's what I'd do. Yep. Uh, the rowdy co-hosts would climb poles, would rip up the field, and burn their records, etc. They took over the field? They took over the field. They destroyed the batting cage. What? People stole the bases. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget your souvenirs. <laughs> so, my favorite is Michael Clark Duncan, who's Oscar-nominated actor yeah, for The Green Mile. Yeah, Wait, what? He okay. was there. He was there? And he enjoyed the chaos by sliding into third, <laughs> and he took a baseball bat with him from the dugout. You're kidding! Yeah. He did? <laughs> wow. So, Bill, That's a uh, nice little nugget. Thank you. Yeah, Bill Veek, at this point, was at the microphone, uh, used to rile up the crowd, and he was begging them to stop. But sure. nobody's listening. No. It's a full riot You now. started this, frat boy. So the scoreboard would start flashing the words, quote, <laughs> please return to your seats. Which, here's the thing, I just, like, a silent board flashing return to your seats not going to do shit to people who are literally, like... Rioting each other and, and, and burning and the place exactly, down. Exactly, beating to each other to death yeah. with the bases. <laughs> um, they also played the song "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" as this was happening to try and calm the people. <laughs> 
Uh, it's not like the national anthem. We don't all just stand and put our hands on our hearts for the take me out of the ball game. But I love it's like, can you please not play anything that isn't rock and roll to these people? Because right, they clearly the only want rock. Like that would just make them angrier. Well, no. The worst thing you could do is then play a disco song. Funky town. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, they start playing YMCA and they're yeah, that would be amazing. So, uh, Daw would ask if he could help with getting him to leave, but he was told to fuck off. Okay. Because they were like, you've done enough. Yeah, oh, sure, yeah. Finally at Somebody nine... finally told Steve to fuck off. <laughs> no, that was the first station, remember? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so. I'm sorry. What I, what I meant to say was, everybody in his life has told Steve to fuck off. <laughs> Steve, finally, fuck off. <laughs> so, finally at 9.08 p.m., the Chicago police would arrive in full riot gear, which would lead to the rioting fans to flee. There we go. Uh, 39 people would end up getting arrested, and about 30 people would have minor injuries from the chaos. Okay. So, there were no deaths. That is insane. A miracle. It's well, a miracle sure. that no one died, yes. first of all. Yeah. And it's, In a riot? Yeah. Of 7,000 people? I mean, they were literally digging Where up. they were burning the, yeah. the field? Okay. And they were literally ripping the field up with their, their hands. Like, they wanted to take a piece of the field home. Oh my god, yeah. these people. So, Bill Veek, uh, mentality. the owners... Uh, the owner of the Sox wanted the second game to happen. What? Yeah, but the manager just run over the potholes. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. So Some parts of the field will be on fire. Sure. I, I feel like that's not a smart. But we sold so many tickets, though. Yeah, but I feel like they kind of lost their right to a game after they burned the field down. Well, the players didn't burn it down. Why should we punish them? <laughs> so the manager of the Tigers, uh, Sparky Anderson was like, fuck that, and fuck your crazy fans, and this crazy fucking shithole. <laughs> okay. So, they tried to clean up the field, but the umpire was like, it's not safe. No, and it's the Sox, on fire in parts. Yeah, the Sox okay. were forced to forfeit the game, oh. and it's the last game that was ever forfeited in that league. Oh. Like, the, like the most, to date? To date, wow. yeah. Because most games are rained out, and then they come back and play it again a different sure. day. But this was like a full forfeit. Wow. Like, they lost the game. Well, right, it's like, record. okay, your fans destroyed the stadium. It's your fault. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you lose. You get the you get the buy. So the next, <laughs> the next morning, Steve would talk about the evening on the, the radio show in the morning, and is quoted saying, quote, I think for the most part, everything was wonderful. Sure. Some maniac co-host got wild, went down on the field, which you shouldn't have done. Bad little co-host. Wow. Both Bill and Mike Veek would suffer from the catastrophe. Uh, Mike would find himself out of a job oh. and unable to get work elsewhere in baseball because he was a mess. Oh. And Bill would sell the team. Really? Yeah. Whoa. As, like, this, is, this had some consequences for yeah. them. Jeez. Mike obviously didn't learn his lesson, though, since he bought a minor league baseball team later mm -hmm. on, the Charleston River Dogs. And blew them up! Well, he had a let's destroy Miley Cyrus and Justin Bieber stuff right night for the promotion. He did? Yeah. <laughs> How'd that go? I didn't look it up. I was like, we have enough stuff here. Well, he doesn't own the team anymore. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, so wow. Disco would fade in the following two years and transform Yeah, because into, of this. Yeah, it would transform into dance music. Mm -hmm. Steve takes his night as the reason that Disco died. What a surprise. Yeah. Wow. Um, and the night would be viewed as a night that was founded based on racial and homophobic tension. What? Yeah. Dave Marsh from Rolling Stone wrote that Disco Demo Night was, quote, your most paranoid fantasy about where the ethnic cleansing of rock and roll could ultimately lead. 
And, quote, white males, 18 to 34, are the most likely to see disco as the product of homosexuals, blacks, and Latins, and therefore they're the most likely to respond to appeals to wipe out such threats to their security. Ah. It goes almost without saying that such appeals are racist and sexist, but broadcasting has never been an especially uh, civil libertarian medium. That's a good quote. Yeah. And uh, a historian, Jay Zietz, Mm -hmm. uh, would write, quote, An obvious explanation for the disco demolition night riot might center on the desire of white working class baseball fans to strike out against an art form that they associated with African-Americans, gays and lesbians and Latinos. Well, way to bring it down. We were just having fun blowing shit up. And now (laughs) it's all because they want to delete gay people and black people and Hispanic people from the world. Right. Uh, so another... You're a downer, Jason Gaffney. So Steve Dahl has since written a book and an article saying that it was not based on homophobia or racism. Well, how would he know? And, well, he he would argue this and claim that he never had anything to do with racism or bigotry, that he really just hated I'm disco. sorry, this is the person who wrote the song that is all about, it's, uh, blow, I, I blow dry my hair too much and I dance too much like Fred Astaire. Uh, I'm sorry, Steve. No, no, no. Right. So, uh, here's the thing. To a, some, a, a partial extent, I can get behind the fact that he didn't consciously realize... Don't get was... behind Steve Dahl. He'll freak out. <laughs> um, I, he didn't realize that he was being a bigot or leading bigots because he was. He would later be in the LGBT movie Outing Riley in 2004. So... What? what? But As what? A character, one of the actors. Okay. And, and there, there are a lot of straight white people out there who do racist things and homophobic things, and they don't know that they're doing it. Yeah. It doesn't excuse that. Not an excuse. But it's just something to say, like, I can kind of believe that he would think it's not because he's like, I just hate disco, and he doesn't get why he hates it. Yeah. And he needs to do a little soul searching. He probably does need to do well, a little bit of that. And I think that... How about, let's do it for him. Steve, you're a homophobic <laughs> racist. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark W. Anderson who was 15 at the time and attended the disco demo uh-huh. would actually write after Steve wrote his article about how the co-hosts were absolutely doing this because they were afraid of being erased. Okay, who is tired of white people being afraid that they're going to be erased? Raise your hand. Oh, the two white people here are... Yep. Anyone else? Everybody, raise your hand. So he would write, quote, The chance to yell, disco sucks, meant more than simply a musical style choice. It was a chance to put, push back on a whole set of social dynamics that lay just beneath the surface of a minor battle between a DJ and a radio station that decided to change formats. More importantly, it was a chance for a whole lot of people to say they didn't like the way the world was changing around them or who they saw as potential victors in a cultural and demographic war. That's pretty topical. Right. That was kind of what my mom's speech was about in Denver, which was like, guys, you've got to stop writing books where it's set in a completely white town with all straight people. Mm -hmm. Like, there's more than just white straight people in this world. And your books will be so much richer. I wonder if that's true. What? Are there more than white straight people? I just don't know. We're both gay. But white. But we're gay. I mean, you make a compelling argument. Sure. <laughs> All right. So, what's the bright side? Hey, we came to the bright side. We came to the bright side. All right. All right. So, the, the dust has settled, and we're on the bright side of yeah. this explosion. So, people are talking about about this still, and they yeah. and they're learning from it, and and there's people who are calling out 
the stuff and not and they're not relenting. Yeah, and racism. And, yeah, and, 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 and and they're calling it out, and it, it's the kind of thing where like I've watched people, like I, I have friends on Twitter who are in minorities who who have written things like, guys, if you say something stupid and you get dragged by a community, uh, try to hear them and understand mm-hmm. why they're upset with you. Mm-hmm. They're not just doing it for fun. They're doing it because you have offended them. Right. So listen to what you've said. Try to like apologize and learn how to be better with it. Yeah. And there's so many people who are like, I'm not racist, but... And right. it's like... That's one of the most toxic things about like white privilege, I think, especially, is that... Just because you don't intend to offend somebody, you think you're in the right all the time. Right. And, you know, you're not. Like, if you said something that, you know, I, you know what I was told recently was that one of our listeners got really offended that I used the phrase fishy in terms of a drag queen being like ladylike, right? Oh. And I heard that. I was like, really, I apologize. That's interesting. And I'd like to say that on the air, actually, that I apologize if anybody was offended by that because I never, because. I never intended it. It's just a phrase I know from the gay community. Yeah. And I never intended any offense, but I caused it for sure. And I take responsibility for it. And uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and that... I've heard it. I like, I, I, I've heard it and I'm not just right because I, it was a joke. I'm not right. Therefore. Right. I, you know, caused offense and I'm sorry for that. So um, I, you know, I, I like that the bright, one of the bright sides is like, this was part of that conversation. Yeah. Like it became part of like, what are your true motives? You right. know, like you can just have fun and say disco sucks, but are you, is it because you feel threatened and why do you feel threatened? I mean, by some symbols. Right. Well, and I, I don't mean symbols of a thing. I mean, symbols like on a drum set. <laughs> Those are scary. <laughs> so another, another bright uh, side is that baseball saw what a mess this kind of publicity stunt was and they stopped doing it more That's or less. Probably so good. Don't like blow up your field. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't use demolition. <laughs> <laughs> in a crowded stadium of people. Yeah. So, you know, they stopped doing that and they just started giving out foam baseballs. That's fine. That's fine. I love a foam baseball. Who doesn't like a little stress ball baseball? Fine. Oh, those are great. Yeah, they're great. You throw they... that on the field and then the player feels less stressed. Shoot a t-shirt out of a cannon, no problem. Don't people get hurt by those? No, not enough. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going around hunting people with a t-shirt cannon? No, I'm just saying if you need to get t-shirts out of a cannon, you you probably also don't need to be among us in society. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I understand now. I'm kidding. I kid. So yeah, so thank you, Maureen, for this great topic. Gosh, thanks, Maureen. So, so she brought this to your attention? Yeah, via Twitter. On yeah, Twitter? you go uh, to at BrightsideKNJ yeah. and uh, tweet us with topics, you can uh, email us, thebrightsidewithkevinandjason at gmail.com. Uh-huh. And uh, by the way, another bright side, nobody died. We touched on it before, yes. but I'm going to say it straight out. A bright side of this is that nobody died in a, in a, a, a riot of 7,000 people that were ripping up sod and stealing bats and faces and <laughs> destroying, you know, causing fires inside a crowded stadium. Uh, nobody died. Yeah. That's very good. And that really is an amazing bright side. It because, is. Because, like, this, people should have died. Yeah. As we have learned, stadiums can be a dangerous place. Stadia? Yeah. Stadia? Stadia. That's the... Uh, the plural? Plural of stadium. That mm-hmm. Really? I yeah, thought sure. it was stadiums. No. No. Stadii? Oh, oh, damn. It might be. Anyway. <laughs> well, thanks for bringing this to our attention. Thank you, Maureen, for bringing that to our attention. Thanks, Jason, for looking into it further. It's a great topic. Yeah. It's crazy. And, uh, yeah. And Disco, by the way, still around. Yeah. Yeah. 
Disco on the older is, station, of course, but, you know, it's still... Disco is still around, and that stadium, I think, has been rebuilt. Rebuilt? Yeah, well, they had to fix the ground. Yeah, but they didn't rebuild the stadium. It's like that earthquake thing where one chair is tipped over. We will rebuild. <laughs> they will, We will resod. <laughs> yes, another bright side. The resilience of American the, the workmanship. The Chicago White Sox. Yeah, the, uh, the union over there. They got to work right away. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for joining us on another episode of The Bright Side with Kevin and Jason. Bye. Bye. Funky town. No. <laughs> we hope you've liked this episode of The Bright Side with Kevin and Jason. If you did, please throw us some stars and give us a review on iTunes. It really helps others find the show. And if you didn't, just keep it to yourself or tell your diary. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Brightside K and J, and on Facebook at The Bright Side with Kevin and Jason. All our past episodes are also streaming on our website, www.thebrightsidewithkevinandjason.com. Until next week, don't forget to look, look on, on the, the bright, bright side. side.